0: main topic here that you heard about, and you will hear some more from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins, is the concept that evolution has been powerful enough for billions of years in developing a system called the immune system, which has allowed us to survive for billions of years. There must be something pretty powerful about that as compared to a scalpel or compared to a radiation machine, and understanding that and unlocking that mystery. It's probably one of the most exciting things you can do in your life. So I, I'm, uh, I, I embrace, in fact, the concept that learn from nature, don't teach nature, and then create a global network of partnerships is very important. Now, the person who had the vision for the modern NIH is this person. His name is Vannevar Bush, no relation to uh, George Bush, uh, the current one, uh, at least that I know of and uh, was a, a scientist at MIT. He actually was in the School of Engineering at MIT and then was asked by President Roosevelt uh, during the war to come and help organize the war effort, the science effort. And he was at the top level advising the president on, on you know, nuclear weapons, radars, proximity fuses, all the things, penicillin, actually uh, the generation of tons of penicillin at the time. And in 1944, right in the middle of the war again, it's amazing how wars make leaders uh, think uh, far away. In the middle of the war, um, uh, Roosevelt, who was really impressed with the fact that universities uh, came together to really help the country, said, how do we make sure that we don't lose that energy, that, that dream? And we use it for civilian purposes, for good purposes for the entire society. And, you know, in, in, in many examples of what I've studied, it's often one person, one one vision, one document that you can go back to that essentially tells you the story. If you look at the germ theory of disease, there's basically one paper by Koch in Germany and one paper by Pasteur. You read those two papers and you, right in front of you, see a 100 years of medical history. You know, when Pasteur created the Pasteur Institute, The first thing he said, he said, we we will create institutes around the world so that we can understand infectious diseases, make sure that epidemics don't spread, and go where the epidemics are so before they come here. And you read that, and you say, wow, he was 120 years ahead of his time. And sure enough, you have pastor institutes all around. Well, this gentleman here is probably, I would think, the intellectual father of the NIH. He wrote a, a paper called The Endless Frontier, which was the result of a, a committee work that the president asked him to do. And he said, look, uh, and, and, and we have it on our website. I put it on our website because I think it's probably one of the most enlightening documents. He said, scientific progress on the broad front results from the free play of free intellects. This is somebody who comes out of the war, has directed thousands of scientists. The first thing he tells you, you can't direct science. You can't just force it. This is something that's a free intellect, free play of free intellects, working on subjects of their own choice. Why is that? Because, you know, it's so hard to come up with a breakthrough. It's so hard to come up with a proof of concept that, that immune therapies will work in cancer. And, you know, that first patient, I'm sure Dr. Rosenberg remembers that, like the, uh, an enormously uh, uh, defining ex- experience. It's like the first one in my case. When I was able to prove that by measuring calcium, I could spare surgery to patients and tell them, what you have is not a cancer. Don't go through the aggravation, the pain, and the risk of doing that. That joy is very unique, but it can only be sustained if it's your choice. In the manner dictated by curiosity and for exploration, think out of the box. Don't be locked in what the surgeons of the past have taught you, but look at what the surgeons of the future want to do. And then don't get, let, make sure the government doesn't get in the way. Preserve freedom of inquiry under any plan of government support. And then the other thing he said right there in 1945, the government should take an active role in promoting the international flow of scientific information. These are the things that I personally believe in. This is probably the reason I'm here in front of you today. And I think this is the reason why many of you will participate, I think, in this great adventure. The contemporary NIH then comes out of this concept that we want free ideas. Therefore, scientists come up with their free ideas, and we just have it reviewed by other scientists. It's called a peer review system. I don't decide what's the greatest idea next year. The scientists decide that, and they judge each other. And then we create research laboratories and recruit outstanding scientists. This is the early part of the history of NIH between the 50s and the 60s. The institutes and centers are created because you need to respond to the public need for hope or public health needs. And a lot of them had intramural programs. Why? Because there was no other place you could really put together people with novel ideas trying to break through our fundamental understanding of life systems. And then these young trainees joined the NIH, and lo and behold, in less than 50 years, over 120 grantees or trainees have become Nobel laureates. There isn't an institution that I can name you in the world that came from zero to 120 Nobel Prizes in as fast a time. Now, many of these Nobel laureates, half of them are actually foreign born. They came to the United States, they were embraced, and so on. Now, in in, uh, final comments, and I know I want to leave some time for questions, let me tell you what I see ahead of us that are challenges. Public health, we have a huge increase in chronic conditions uh, as opposed to acute diseases which we we used to suffer from. Aging of the population is going to be very important. Um, Health disparities. We have health disparities within countries and between countries. Actually, this is probably a globalization issue that we need to talk about as as probably one of the most important defining issues in the next 50 years. If this continues, there's no security in the world that can be based on disparity of justice and access to health and education. So it's important that we talk about this. Dr. Fauci will tell you about emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases, and because of the connection between our genes, which have been tune over millions of years for starvation and war and lack of food. Now we have genes that are surprised by the environment of rich foods and rich caloric environment and no exercise. And uh, emerging non-communicable diseases like obesity is important. And um, others, uh, you know, mental health, for example, is going to be a growing problem. It's a non-communicable disease, but it's an emerging issue. Um, Pulmonary diseases are uh, definitely an issue. So here's the shape of things to come, and we want to make sure that we do have the knowledge to fight that. Let me just leave you with what I think is the wall in front of us, the real problem in front of us, is the fact that uh, biological complexity is really, really daunting. Uh, If you look at on the left, this is just a small diagram of the cell's response to damage. Dr. Rosenberg can probably make a 10 times more complicated diagram by the immune response and all of the interleukin. When he started his work, there were two or three interleukins known. Now there are 27 and more, I think, and growing. And and, and really, the the thing that I would like to, the analogy I'd like to leave you with is look on your left-hand side. This is an IC chip, essentially an integrated circuit. And suppose you're an alien, and you're coming on Earth, and you find a PC. You absolutely know nothing about the PC and then you get to the chip and you say, well, let me understand that. Well, the first thing you would do is you would try to understand the components. And frankly, that's what we've done, been doing for the past 50 years. Uh, we have understand DNA and the genes encoded in DNA and the proteins and how it's translated. All the pieces are basically what we have done over the past 50 years. But If you did this for an integrated circuit, you wouldn't understand that from that comes Microsoft Word or whatever other uh, PowerPoint uh, presentation, slide presentation, or computing. You couldn't tell that. You really need to understand how the system works. So systems biology, if you will, is in front of us. That's what we need to do. Why do we need to do this? Because we need to change the way medicine is practiced. Uh, We have to go from a curative model which was the model of the 5,000 years before us, uh, behind us, to the new model where we would have to be preemptive. And we'll have to understand enough in a predictable manner about who is at risk for a disease, when does the disease develop, and how does it develop so that we can, and we already know that at the molecular level, diseases that seem one at the observable level are really multiple diseases when it comes to molecular signatures. So we want to understand those signatures, which means in in this century, we're going to reclassify diseases again. And remember, this has happened over the centuries. Every time we have more knowledge, we reclassify diseases. It used to be that you have a pulmonary problem, pulmonitis, meaning the lungs are diseased. Now we can have a lot more classification about pulmonary diseases, whether it's you know fibrotic and, and all, or infectious and others. The same thing is going to happen. We're going to have patterns of signatures, cancers at the leading edge of that when we have lymphomas, leukemias that look just the same under the microscope, and yet we know that the molecular signatures are different, which means the treatments have to be different. But at the end of the day, this medicine will be very, very different than the medicine of today. It will be It will require the patients to participate, because hopefully when we intervene, the patients won't be sick, because if we wait for the disease to strike the patient before we intervene, the game is lost. We need to strike the disease before it strikes the patient, especially when you deal with chronic diseases that have a 25-year evolution uh, before it does its damage. So the greatest risk in science is to stop taking risks. That's my message. I think you are the risk uh, takers of the future and I encourage you to do that and make sure that you don't follow in the exact footsteps of your predecessors, take a chance to create a new path. Thank you very much.